Thank you, Jeremy, worship team, and uh, great to come to this point in the service with you where we look at Scripture together, God's Word uh, together. And uh, what a great weekend to, uh, to celebrate the Buckeyes. Great win yesterday. Amen. <laughs> and uh, what a great weekend to begin a new series, too, a new teaching series. Last week, we, we finished looking at some courageous characters in the Bible, but this weekend we're beginning a study of First John. Uh, the Apostle John went on to write the first letter of John, the second letter of John, the third letter of John, also the book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, as well as the Gospel of John. So next to Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. So we're going to look at that in just a minute. Before we read that first chapter, before I read the first chapter to you, I want to tell you about this, this book right here. Um, but before I tell you about this book, let me just walk you back some years. Uh, a number of years ago, when I was the, the chaplain for the Kent State University football team, I would travel with the team. And this one particular weekend, we traveled to Miami University down in Oxford, where uh, only my sophomore year, that's where I was in school. It's significant because that is the year I became a Christian. I began to follow Jesus around age 20, something like that. And uh, so when the bus arrived at the stadium, the first thing I did was hop out of the bus and head across campus to my old dorm. I had not been there for, you know, a couple years. It had been a long time. And I wanted to see my old dorm. I, in particular, wanted to see my old room. And so I went up to the second floor, went to the hallway. The hallway was dark. All the doors were closed except for one, and it was my old room. And so I looked around the corner of the end of the room, and there was a young man seated over there next to the window, a student who was studying. And I said, excuse me, may I bother you just for a moment? I would just love to take a look at your room. And he wondered why. And I said, well, this is where I lived during uh, a couple semesters and would just like to bring back some memories. And so I stepped in. We talked a little bit. And I, I thought, you know, I might as well tell him. I said, can, can, I tell you just, can I tell you what happened to me in this room? He looked at me like, I'm not so sure I really want to know. And, uh, but I said, it was right here in this room, where, when the desk was placed right here facing this direction, and I was seated here, and for the very first time in my life, I read the Bible. I opened the Bible and I read it. And we begin to have a good dialogue about that. But I want to tell you that this, this book right here is the first Bible. I, this is the book I had in my hand at that desk. I had never read the Bible for myself. I went to church all my life, but, but I started to read. And I, I forget why I started to read in the letter of 1 John. But I did. And the letters, just the words began to pop off the page to me. So this book, this letter we're about to study over the next the weeks to come, means a lot to me, and I hope it becomes meaningful to you as well. And what I'd like to do now is to read you chapter 1. It's just 10 verses long. But I'm going to read to you the, the very words, the very page from which I read when I first became a believer. And it goes like this, chapter 1, starting at verse 1. By the way, this is the New Testament translation. It's a little different than what we'll look at later. 
Christ was alive when the world began, yet I myself have seen him with my own eyes and listened to him speak. I have touched him with my own hands. He is God's message of life. This one who is life from God has been shown to us, and we guarantee that we have seen him. I am speaking of Christ who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then was shown to us. Again, I say, we are telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may share the fellowship and the joys we have with the Father and with Jesus Christ, his Son. And if you do as I say in this letter, then you too will be full of joy, and so will we. This is the message God has given us to pass on to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So if we say we are his friends, but go on living in spiritual darkness and sin, we are lying. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ does, then we have wonderful fellowship and joy with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. And it is perfectly proper for God to do this for us because Christ died to wash away our sins. If we claim we have not sinned, we are lying and calling God a liar. For he says, we have sinned. This is God's word. That's meaningful for me to read that to you. The very first page I read to read it with you. Thank you for letting me do that. Um, so when we read through 1 John, it appears there are several reasons John writes this letter. One is to point people back to true faith in Jesus. Just like back then for all of us, it's easy to drift from our faith. Uh, to, to combat false teaching, I'll talk about that in just a moment, what that was. And then thirdly, to call people back into true fellowship, a sense of closeness with God. We'll get into that too. <clears throat> now, John is writing primarily to Christians, to Christ's followers. And just like today, back then, people were prone to mess up and to walk away from God and to blow it and sin and all of that. And so John is calling them back. Christ and to fellowship with God. But it's not just to Christians. It's, it's also a meaningful letter to skeptics, to those who wonder about God, because John conveys what it looks like to have a genuine, authentic relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And all of this is apparent as we continue through the letter. Now, in this first chapter, it seems that we can break it down into three sections. There is the goal that John has in mind, there is the problem John has in mind, and there is the solution. So let's cover each one of those. The first one is the goal, and it goes, starts like this. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. Let me stop there for a few moments. I would imagine all of us at some point in our life, maybe even this week, we say something like, I'll believe it when I see it. 
And that's what John is saying here. We saw it, and so we believe it. And now John just unreservedly proclaims the message of Christ. Now, back then, there was a lot of false teaching. There's false teachers today, too. But back then, false teaching was characterized pretty much by denying the humanity of Jesus. And it broke down a couple ways. There was one group of people who taught that Jesus was not real. He was just a ghost, a spirit being. Another group looked at him more dualistically. At times he was human, at times he was God, but not at the same time. Now, that drove John nuts because of, he, of his time with Jesus. We sometimes forget the, the Bible is a book of history. And, and over the years, archaeologically, people have studied the Bible. People have looked at the events and times of the Bible and found it to be true. And John, in this letter, is saying, look, Jesus is fully human. I, I've spent time with him. I've sat with him. I ate with him. He is human. And I was with him when he did miracles. And I was with him at the transfiguration along with James and Peter. He is fully God. He is fully human, fully God. If he's not fully human, then the cross makes no sense. If he's not God, then what are we even talking about? He's just a person. And John says, no, he is human. He is God. And we need to listen to him. And so John continues in these first few verses. He is the word of life. This is the one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. What is the goal? It is fellowship with God. Now, I like to think in terms of signposts, signs, signposts. When our family is on vacation, at times, and this has happened numerous times, we'll be traveling somewhere, we like the outdoors, um, we'll see a signpost or a sign that, that says, you know, it talks about a trail here that you might like to hike, so we go hike it. Or maybe it talks about a vista we would enjoy, so we go and look out over the scenery. You know, God has placed signposts all around us that point to the Creator, point to God, point back to Himself. For me, in my own story, it was the mountains, it was creation, it was the stars and the moon, the celestial skies that made me think about God. For others, it might be science that finally draws them in. Or maybe it's a newborn baby. The air in our lungs, the blood in our veins, or maybe it's just that universal sense of right and wrong. How could we all be wired the same way around the world? Those are all signposts pointing back to God. There's a guy we quote every now and then named Augustine. He lived in the fourth century, Augustine of Hippo. And he's known for saying this, our hearts are restless. Now there's a signpost. Every one of us is born with a restless soul, searching for meaning, searching for purpose in life. 
trying to answer the big questions of life. Why am I here? Where did I come from? How should I live? Where am I going? And our souls are restless, restless, restless. And sometimes, not that these things are bad in and of themselves, but when we try to fill our souls up with, maybe I can be better looking. Or maybe I can have more stuff. Or maybe it's that relationship. Or maybe it's that experience. We find ourselves on the treadmill of life. Always soul tired. Still restless. And what Augustine says is this. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. That is in God. Fellowship with God, that is the goal. And that's what John is saying, that he and the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus, have found their souls to be at rest. They have found peace in their souls because they have discovered real life, a whole new way of life, and a whole new way of going at life is anchored in God himself through faith in Jesus. Now that's the goal fellowship with God that comes through Christ. But John now begins to develop a problem. There is an impediment, a barrier that exists between us and fellowship with God. And he wants us to understand what this barrier is. And it goes like this. The problem. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. So in these verses, and then again in verses 8 and 10, we're not going to take a look at those verses, but they pretty much say the same thing. John tells us there is a barrier that exists between us and true fellowship with God. And that barrier happens whenever we attempt to live a duplicitous life. That is, when we attempt to say we are walking in the light, we are walking with Christ, but we know in our hearts we are really dipping into the shadows. When we, are, when, when we say that, oh, I'm concerned, I'm so concerned about living authentically, but really it's more just about the appearance. Or maybe I'm more concerned about posing as a Christ follower than I am about practicing as a Christ follower. Now, someone might say, well, I thought we are all imperfect. I, I thought we all make mistakes. No one, is, no one is perfect. Is John saying here that we have to be perfect in order to have fellowship with God? And the answer is, of course not. And that's not what John is saying. In fact, let's look back up here he says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. Do you see there's a, there's, a, there's a progression there? There's a process there. He's not talking about a one-time event. We all blow it. We all mess up. We all, we all do things we wish we had not done or do things or not do things we wish we had done. What John is talking about here is not a one-time mistake. He's talking about a lifestyle of habits habitually going forward with a, with a pattern of being at rest with something that is not okay, of being comfortable with that which is not okay, and we know it deep in our hearts. 
deeper into his letter, he says some pretty startling things, very much like what we've just read. He says in chapter 3, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. That's chapter 3. Chapter 5, he says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And what he's referring to is not just one-time events, but unaddressed patterns of sin that indicate Maybe we really are not that concerned about walking in the light, but settling for living in the darkness. Been there. How about you? What are some indicators that we're settling for the darkness and not maybe that concerned about living in the light? Here's a couple or several just examples. One is maybe we're hiding things from the ones we love. Maybe... We aren't completely honest with others about our life, our, struggle, our struggles, etc. Maybe we are habitually doing something that we know is, is not right. Or maybe we're just refusing to deal with something that we, we know in our hearts, this is not right. And we fail to talk about it, to deal with it. We've all been there. There's a, a book that I read uh, years ago by Gordon MacDonald. Maybe you know the name, a well-known pastor from out east in the Boston area, written many books. But in this book, Rebuilding Your Broken World, there's one little line I remember, and it goes like this. Sin thrives in secrecy. Sin thrives in secrecy. Sin thrives in the darkness. Mold thrives in the darkness. Where we used to live over in the Akron area, when we went to sell our home, we discovered there was mold up in our attic. We had to call somebody to remediate all of that. My, I wish we had dealt with that much earlier on than having to go through all the expense and all of the time. And Wouldn't it be great if we would just deal right now with any darkness issues we're having, with any sin issues we are having. Sin is the problem. And, and, and the, 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 the problem is undealt with. Our fellowship with God can be dimmed. In fact, undealt with over time, if we don't deal with something, we can actually begin to wonder, 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 do I really have a relationship with God in the first place? So sin is the problem, but John leads us to the solution. Now, I'm going to read some verses to you that are very well known. In fact, I remember the first time reading from this Bible. I read, I read these verses we're about to look at, thinking this is, this is wonderful news. Because I knew how broken I was and am and how meaningful these verses are. And here's the first one, verse 7. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can relate to this. Isn't it great when your conscience is clear before God and people, and you just, you're just unafraid of the light? Unafraid. But of course, we all know we're imperfect. We all know we're going to mess up at times and blow it and do things we shouldn't do or or not do the things we should do, and so on. Our tendency, when those things happen, our tendency, our tendency is to run, to withdraw, to hide, to conceal, 
And sometimes it just seems easier to avoid the light. When I was a kid, in our backyard, we had some, some boulders, some rocks, and we would pick those up. And I, th- I think they were called potato bugs. You remember that, how the bugs just start to squirm? Why are they squirming? It's because of the light. We don't want the light shining on us. John, in his gospel, uh, the third chapter, he writes these words. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Again, when, when I was a, a kid, I, I, was, I was afraid of the dark. I remember living at 826 Seneca Avenue. My, uh, my dad would come in, or my mom would come in and tuck us in, and my brother shared the room with me, and we'd both say, could you please check the closet? It was dark. We were afraid, you know. And then I remember our own kids, three kids, they too, afraid of the dark. Do you remember that as a kid, perhaps? What happens? You know, we get older. We don't become afraid of the dark anymore. But for many, we become afraid of the light. And we want to run from the light and be concealed from the light. Um, here at the chapel, we, I mentioned earlier one of our values is to live generously. The other one is to be authentic. What does that mean? It means to be real. It means to be honest. It means to be genuine. And it would be wonderful if we could be a church where we all come with our brokenness and with our sins and with our dark pasts and our dark inclinations. And we were just honest about it. We all struggle. I struggle. You struggle. We all struggle. When I was a pastor in the Akron area, this is many years ago, but I remember thinking the word unshockable. People, people would come in at times and, and share their, their struggles, and sometimes very dark struggles. There's a little line I learned years ago, all sin is equally wrong, but not all sin is equally bad. And sometimes they would share some really bad stories. And I remember thinking, I, wanna, I want to be unshockable. I, I want to be unsurprised because I should not be surprised when such things come out of the human heart because I know my own heart and you know your heart. All of us should be unshockable when somebody wants to share their story with us or we want to share ours or we should expect others to be unsurprised, unshockable. And then to receive the grace and the acceptance and the forgiveness that we've received from Christ, we share it freely with each other. A church of authenticity. I love the next part of that, the the tagline. There it is right there, be authentic. We are real people in process. That's our tagline. But I love the word process. That means we're on our way. We haven't arrived, but it's dynamic. It's not static. We're on a journey together. It's a process of growing together as individuals, as a church, what it means to be truly authentic. What does that look like? What's, what's part of that process? Part of that process is, the, is learning to confess our sins. One of my favorite verses from the Bible, it shows up several times, is that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One of the greatest vehicles for expressing our humility is through prayer, is through confession. And confession, all it means is telling God what he already knows about our hearts. 
And so I remember reading this verse for the first time, and it's a favorite to many people. It's, it's, it's the first chapter, uh, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What does confession do? Confession just brings us back into the light where God wants us to be. It gives us a greater sense of closeness to God. When we hide in the darkness, we dim our fellowship with God. We dim our sense of closeness with God. Um, a, long, uh, a long time ago, I heard that, maybe you've heard this little quote, that, that if God seems far away, guess who moves? And it's always us. God never moves. It's always us. It reminds me, and I wish I had put this on the screen to show you, but check it out sometime. Psalm 32, a wonderful prayer. But the psalmist there writes about his own heart and how he resisted confession. He resisted stepping into the light. And as a result, he says, my bones began to ache. My bones began to get sore because God was pressing in on my conscience. But then he says, then I confessed my sin and you forgave me. And I experienced freedom. And that's what confession does. And the beauty is that God is always there to forgive us and to cleanse us. So let me just review for us. Let me show you this first. Living in the light is not walking in perfection. It's walking in confession. None of us are perfect. But all of us can humble ourselves with confession. What is the goal? The goal is to have fellowship with God, a sense of closeness with God. It begins by accepting Christ as our Savior, stepping into a relationship with God, which can never change. But our fellowship can dim because of our tendency to want to dabble in the darkness, lurk in the shadows, live with unconfessed sin. But when we step out and confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is the good news. The good news isn't only the day we become Christ's followers. The good news continues as God embraces us as his children and loves us all the way through. Let's pray together. God, now thank you for your great grace expressed to us through Jesus. Would you help each one of us this week to live with hearts of confession before you? You, you know what's in our hearts. You already know. Give us a spirit of humility. Maybe even to confess something to friends. That's how we get better. Would you, God, would you please now give us a sense of your closeness as we walk with you this week. Thank you for your great grace expressed to us through Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. And I want to share with you too, next, next week we go into chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about how, how do we as Christians Christ's followers live in the world, but we don't love the world. The tension of all that. See you next week.